So reading from God's Word, Book of Luke 23, verses 26 to 49, and you'll find that on page 748 of the Red Pew Bibles. As they led him, that's Jesus, away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children, for the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the barren women, the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others, let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance, watching these things. All right, let's um, come and pray and then work through the passage together. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the time we share now. Uh, we thank you that we've been able to read uh, this passage already and think a bit about it. And we pray we'd um, understand and interpret a bit more of what's going on in the cross. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, some passages have a tone that's a little more uh, upbeat, possibly you know, very joyful. Um, but today's passage, the tone is a bit more serious. It's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a, it's hard to read it and not be sad as we uh, see the things that are going on. And there's also mystery in it. Uh, there's a song that we sing in the 1030 service. Uh, it's called Jesus Thank You. Now, when I talked about this song in the 845 church, I don't think they understood what I was talking about, but uh, hoping you might remember it a bit. Uh, the line at the start says, The mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend, the agonies of Calvary. And so in the song, 
The writer describes the sufferings of Jesus as an incomprehensible mystery. Doesn't mean we can't understand something of it, but there is still mystery in what happens in the cross. When we think of something as a mystery, we normally think of uh, you know, Murder, She Wrote or some other uh, mystery thriller on TV or a novel that someone might sort of get caught up in, uh, where they, they're trying to tie together pieces of information and make sense of what's happened uh, to leading to a certain event, some, something like a murder perhaps. And it's not always clear how the pieces fit together. You're trying to work out who might have um, done the job. And it's hard to understand sometimes what's, what's happened. But in the song, Jesus, Thank You, uh, the mystery surrounds the cross. And so it raises the question of why has this happened? Why the cross? And more importantly, what's the significance of the cross for us? And so that's what we're going to be looking at in this passage today. Well, there is a build-up to it. Uh, we saw last week that uh, Pilate capitulates. He goes uh, weak in a moment where he's found that uh, he said three times he's referring to Jesus saying he's done nothing that deserves death. But in the, crowd, in the end, the crowds keep uh, calling out, crucify him, crucify him. So Pilate um, doesn't show great character and he grants them their demand. He releases Barabbas, who's a murderer. He's also been uh, on charge for insurrection. Now, insurrection is a Latin word which is talking about a, a violent rising up against a government. But the interesting thing to note there was that there's an irony because, um, well, I hate to say it, there was a trumped up charge. I mean, we use this word trump a bit these days, but there was a trumped up charge of insurrection that was uh, given to Jesus in chapter 23, verse 2. And in, in the end, the crowd really does want someone handed over who um, is charged for insurrection. So it's kind of, there's an irony here. They, they were handing Jesus over for insurrection and then they released someone back who was actually guilty of it. Well, today's passage, we see the scene uh, moves away from Pilate and Jesus is led to the place known as the place of the skull uh, in chapter 2333. Now the Greek word is the word cranian and that's actually translated by the Latin to become the word calvaria which is where we get our English translation for the for the word calvary the agonies of calvary in that song. So calvary is the place and there's a hard walk for Jesus there. He's spent some time uh, suffering over the last 24 hours. Pilate's punished him. And we're not told directly that Simon carries the cross for him because he's been suffering. But that seems to be the picture. And so we're told in verse 26 that they've put a cross on Simon and made him carry it behind Jesus. Now, we get the impression that um, Simon's someone who hasn't been uh, allied with the group that's, that's trying to get rid of Jesus. He's someone who's come in from the country uh, and hasn't got anything to do with the protests against Jesus. It seems that his name may even come up later in Acts because um, Simon's a derivative of Simeon and it, it, that's something which... You know, is, is another sermon, but uh, suffice to say, Simon seems to be a warm contact with Jesus. And as he takes up this cross uh, and walks behind, 
We're reminded of words throughout the gospel, aren't we, where Jesus talks about taking up your cross and following him. So in chapter 9, 23, he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Again in 1427, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And so the point is, if we're not willing to sort of uh, follow Jesus and make him number one, we don't even get off first base. We're not even allowed to be his disciple. But here we see that Simon literally does carry this cross member. And so as we see Simon in this situation, we've got time to pause and reflect and think about our situation as disciples of Jesus. What does it mean for us to be disciples of Jesus in the world where we live now, in the places that God's put us? What does it mean for us to be those who are willing to follow Jesus as he goes on his way to death? Well, we're left almost thinking that everybody's against Jesus at this point in the passage because there's been a lot of people conspiring against him. The Jewish leadership, Herod, Pontius Pilate, as well as Judas and many of the other Jews. But we see in this passage today that there are those who are really standing with Jesus. We've seen Simon of Cyrene isn't party of the allegiance against him. Uh, In verse 27, there are women who mourn and they wail. And there seems to be a distinction in verse 35 between the people standing and watching and other rulers who are sneering at Jesus. And further, we see that there's a criminal who sides with Jesus and a Gentile centurion. So we see that there's almost two groups painted for us in this this, um, picture, those who are against him and those who are for him. And we're challenged to to see where we stand as well as as we read this. But what is the message that Jesus has for those who are still listening to him? Well, it's interesting to note that despite the fact that he's suffering, Jesus still has the presence of mind uh, and the compassion to teach people, even as he's suffering and on his way to death. He's got this, his resolve to continue to serve God, and he manages his resolve not to um, have a sinful attitude to people. <clears throat> we see that there's women who weep for him, but he wants to dismiss their tears for him because he understands that his suffering's not in vain. It's, it's bound up with the purposes of God. But he does remind them that there is trouble coming. And it's in light of what he said earlier that Israel failed to recognise the time of God's visitation among them. And so consequently, things aren't looking good for Israel in the wake of their rejection of Jesus. So we see some of that in uh, verse 28. If you want to read on with me there. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Normally it's a, a blessing when there's Babies being born into a family. People praise God and give thanks for that news. Uh, But here we've got words of a reverse blessing, uh, where it's a blessing if they didn't have children because of them not having to face some of the hardship at the hands of the Romans later on. 
the call for the mountains to fall on them is a quote from Hosea chapter 10 verse 8 and it reminds them it's, it'd be better for them to have the earth swallow them up um, than to experience what's coming from the Romans as well. And finally, Jesus uses an analogy of the green tree and the dry tree in verse 31. Did you see that? Um, verse 31, For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? And what he's saying is he's a bit more like the green tree. Uh, he's the one who wasn't really a, a threat to the Romans. He was preaching, love your neighbour, love your enemies, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Uh, he's not like the dry tree. Those were the revolutionaries, people a bit more like Barabbas, who wanted to create an insurrection and call, called upon the people to rise up against Rome. But here he's saying, well, if this is what they're going to do to the green tree, uh, can you imagine what they're going to do to the dry one? Well, I've been to a few bonfires in my time, uh, and we, we tended typically to leave the green trees alone. Uh, we didn't find those much value in hacking those down, but uh, in terms of the dry wood, on the other hand, uh, it wasn't long before it went up with smoke, along with some firecrackers when you're a naughty little boy running around. But um, the message here, for those who are still listening, is that uh, even if Jesus is getting you know, crucified by the Romans at this point, and he's, he's been teaching love your neighbour and give to Caesar, well then this is a sign that there's going to be a lot worse coming upon the nation. And so for those who are still willing to listen to him, his words are consistent with what he said earlier about how it might be time to uh, flee Jerusalem as soon, you, as soon as you see that time when things are going to get difficult. So Jesus, even though he's in the midst of suffering, he's still got words of wisdom and encouragement for those who listen. Luke now sharpens his focus to focus on the moment of crucifixion. Two criminals are responding to Jesus at this time as he's being crucified. But those who are doing the crucifying, uh, they don't seem to know what they're doing. I mean, they know what they're doing in terms of getting the job done, but they don't know the significance, really, of what they're doing, do they? In verse 34, Jesus asks God to forgive them. We'll read that. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And then they divided up his clothes by casting lots. They just seem to think this is a bit of a game. Well, in contrast to other people who might have been crucified in the past and had a lot of uh, swear words and curses and insults to say to their henchmen that were, were nailing them to the cross and Jesus puts into practice what he's uh, preached in the past, doesn't he? he? He's preached, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And that's what, what he's done here. Despite the fact that he's suffering, we see something of his resolve to continue to serve God. He, he, he maintains self-control to actually go through the process, experience the sufferings according to God's will for our sake. Now, as we read these things, at one level, uh, we could have a bit of a high-handed approach and be critical of the people uh, that have conspired against Jesus, hand him over, and to those who are flippantly uh, treating him badly. But we've got to ask, what's our place in all of this as well? Because God's word reminds us that there's a sense in which we've got a part to play in this process as well. 
uh, earlier when Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He asked that the task of uh, drinking the cup of God's wrath would be taken from him. And the Bible describes God as someone who's holy and just, who doesn't tolerate sin. And Jesus recognises his role to be the one who experiences uh, that righteous justice from God against sin on behalf of the people of God. And so elsewhere we see Jesus describe himself as the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. And so whilst we don't directly nail Jesus to the cross, we also understand that indirectly uh, we send him to the cross because he's the perfect sacrifice. He's the one we need to die on our behalf. So there's a sense in which we too also send Jesus to the cross as well. We, we require him as a saviour. Well, one of the criminals realises this as well. He requires that he needs saving. And he seems to be in a situation where, it's good to use this phrase now, he gets victory from the jaws of defeat. Sometimes it happens the other way around, where people get defeat whilst they're about to have a victory. But here, this guy has a, a pretty glorious end. He's, he's, uh, he knows he doesn't have a lot of time, and there's a, a glorious ending for one of the criminals. Let's have a look at that in verse... Well, starting at verse 35, we see that the others start winding Jesus up about being a, a royal saviour. Verse 35, they said he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. Verse 36, the soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Well, Jesus has um, reversed the idea of greatness in God's kingdom. Uh, he said being great's about service. And here we see him as the servant king and he's mocked as a king. He's offered uh, wine to drink, almost like you'd offer a king a wine, but it's a, a wine vinegar. Uh, he's referred to as the king who can save, but it's only offered as an insult. And he gets the title of king above him, doesn't he? As if he's on a, a type of throne, but it's a cross. And we know that his kingdom isn't of this world. So there's a sense in which there's an irony here as these people uh, tease him about being a saviour king. And they don't really come to terms with the kind of king that he is, but we see that the other criminal sees things a bit more clearly than the rest. In verse 40, we read about his real response. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus... Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And so this guy seems to understand that Jesus is coming to his kingdom and he's, he's looking for a good ending. Well, what do you make of that word paradise? Today you'll be with me in paradise. Do you know where else this word gets used in the New Testament? Anyone? Anyone? Um, Acts uh, chap 
sorry, what, 2 Corinthians, there we go, it's not Acts, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 4 to, uh, 12 verse 4. Uh, Paul talks about being caught up to paradise. Uh, and so he seems to be describing a, a place above the earth that he's, he's caught up to. Uh, and that's the same, same word. Uh, the root word's got to do with the garden of the Lord. And it's a reminder of Eden at the start. But Jesus, he's, he is speaking about the end time rest. The time when people go to be with the Lord. Uh, until the time of the renewal of all things there's there's still more to happen at the very end and so it's almost like there's a an intermediate state where you go to be with the lord until there's the judgment day and the renewal of things either way there are there's a real comfort in these in these words from jesus to the criminal and one of the main reasons is because there's all of this assurance that's given to the guy uh, sometimes, you know, you ask people, you know, are they, are they sure they're right with God? And they say, well, I hope so. I hope I'm right with God. But then they're not sure. And they say things like, well, I hope, I hope so because I hope I'm good enough. Uh, but we'll, time will tell. But this guy, he's given assurance. He's not a great guy to begin with, uh, but he's given assurance that he's right with God even there and then. Today he will be with the Lord. And it's not because of uh, being good enough, but it's on the grace of God uh, through the willing sacrifice of Jesus. And the comforting thing is that God's word uh, can give us assurance that if we do trust Jesus, then the assurance that this guy's got, we can have as well. John, in his letter, writes about assurance. He says in verse 13 of 1 John chapter 5, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God people like us, so that you may know that you have eternal life. And so we can see that there is assurance of salvation to be had. And it's not about trying to do enough to get into God's family. Uh, the message is if we believe in the name of the, the Son of God, it's like we've been adopted into a family. And uh, now the challenge is just to continue to live up to our family name, but not in order to get into the family. We're already in. So there's some good assurance that comes to us from this passage. Well, here the criminal on the cross recognises that uh, in spite of the fact that Jesus is suffering and about to die, he can give salvation even today. And that's before he's uh, vindicated in his resurrection. The Apostle Peter uh, in Luke's second volume in Acts speaks about how this is a low point. A humiliation but there is a vindication to come in verse 31 he says God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgiveness of sins and so this is uh, the low point if you like the sin bearing sacrifice before the vindication We see in the next part that Jesus commits his spirit to God and there's signs that accompany his work to show it's significant. I'll pick it up in verse 44. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And there's a sense in which time's slowing down here as we read these things. For the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. We're given the impression that this is a very significant moment in history as 
earlier has Jesus has said before the end there'll be signs fearful events and great signs from heaven and this seems to be bound up with those that message as the sun's light fades the the temple veil is ripped and it's hard to understand all that's going on in that some have said that's the holy spirit now being released and going out the gospel goes out to the ends of the earth people aren't drawn in uh, to the temple as a as, as a light in the same way um, others talk about how uh, the way to god we've got a we've got access to god there's no sacred space or place or time we've got access to god through jesus if we have him as lord and savior and then we see that jesus breathes his last he seems to give up his life at the right time rather than simply just uh, die as a result of nature he gives up his life but in this whole process we understand that um, jesus is actually being a sin-bearing sacrifice other parts of the bible interpret what's happened here in 2 corinthians 5:21, we read god made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of god in romans chapter 3 25 Paul talks about Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation which is a sacrifice of atonement by his blood effective true faith and so there is mystery in this moment uh, God who's in Trinity Father Son and Holy Spirit uh, is dealing with the sin of his people in Christ and it's it's all a bit mysterious but the Bible teaches that that's what do, God does to deal with our sin he takes the sin of the world the sin of his people upon himself in the person of christ when paul writes about this he he contrasts the 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 fruit of what adam's done compared with the fruit of what jesus has done and says just through the disobedience of the one man that's talking about adam sinning against god meant the many were made sinners we we share in that nature so also through the obedience of the one man many the many will be made righteous through the work of what jesus has done uh, we can experience uh, being declared right by god now there is mystery in what jesus has done but uh, some christians have been thoughtful and have tried to put together a summary of of some of this work and uh, some of you might be familiar with uh, what christians have written in the larger catechism about what jesus has done and i thought i'd share a little bit of the summary there it's in question 49 how did christ humble himself in his death is the question christ humbled himself in his death in that having been betrayed by judas forsaken by his disciples scorned and rejected by the world condemned by pilate and tormented by his persecutors having also conflicted with the terrors of death and the powers of darkness felt and borne the weight of god's wrath he laid down his life and offering for sin enduring the painful shameful and cursed death of the cross the, the those writers are drawing attention to the fact that he he bears the weight of God's wrath on our behalf. He's, he was forsaken by God for us. 
Well, we've seen one of the criminals seem to see this in a way that the other people didn't. He comes to new life with God. He, he's not a righteous man, but he's declared righteous through the work of Christ. And we can see now the response of others as well. Uh, in verses 47 through to 49, the centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now, the first thing to note is these people have uh, witnessed these things. These, these are things that really did happen. Luke writes them down so that we might be assured of the things that took place. This is not, uh, you know, Harry Potter novel, Lord of the Rings. It's not fantasy land stories with, you know, the Easter bunny and the tooth fairy. This is things that really took place. And the second thing is that there's two groups of people who've witnessed it. Uh, some have mocked Jesus and laughed at him and teased him. But there's others who've seen what have happened and they've really not just seen it happening, they've seen the significance of what's happening. They've been enlightened to see that he is uh, bearing sin for them, that he is a saviour. Despite this time of distress, we're left hanging for a little while until the news of the resurrection of Jesus, which comes uh, later. It accompanies his sufferings. But we, we're not going to get into too much of that today. That's going to be, um, it's a bit more of Luke to go, isn't there? But the challenge for us is to think a little more carefully about our response to the sufferings of Jesus. We've seen the two perspectives, those who've rejected him and those who see something in his work. And Luke wants us to see that he dies as an innocent man in a time of darkness, and yet it's God's will that's done as Jesus suffers for us. Uh, not everybody trusts in the work of Jesus. But the message for us today is that through his faithful work, uh, we can be forgiven if we rely on that and we'll be counted as God's righteous as well. And so may we be those who uh, continue to see clearly what King Jesus has done for us and to rely on his work on our behalf as well. So let us be those who, who can see this nice and clearly and remain faithful to God, remain those who hold on to the work of Christ and not, not shifted from that. We're going to share the Lord's Supper now. I'll close in a word of prayer. Let us pray. And Lord, we do thank you for this passage today, uh, which shows us that Jesus has always uh, been willing to serve you and go through the process of being our sin-bearing sacrifice. We thank you that he experienced your righteous wrath against sin in our place. We give you thanks that he overcame on our behalf. And we thank you that we can be united to him through faith. Uh, Lord, we know that uh, we, we live lives which don't always bring honour to you and we have uh, sin that, needs to be, that can't be ignored but needs to be faced. We do give you thanks for the complete work of Jesus that through his act of righteousness in laying down his life for us, uh, we can experience your forgiveness and, and know that we're counted as your righteous. Lord, we thank you for his work. And we pray that we'd hold on to it and rely on it in the knowledge that we can be right with you and have, a, have that assurance of our salvation through what he's done, not through us trying to be good enough ourselves. Lord, we thank you for this encouraging passage today and we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.